0: Hello and welcome to Who Knew in the Moment, the podcast. Today I'm honored to have Freddie Sandoval on. Freddie is a retired professional Major League Baseball player. He played with the Angels, then had the opportunity to coach with the Kansas City Royals and win a uh, championship. And today he's on a mission to help others. Freddie has a lot of twists and turns in his stories and pivotal moments that have led him to where he's at today. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to another episode of who knew in the moment the podcast today i'm honored to have freddie sandoval with us and uh you're going to enjoy his story uh it's pretty fascinating and i think anyone that uh understands the grind it takes to be great at an athletic achievement will understand and appreciate freddie's uh enthusiasm for baseball but also the uh just the journey he's been on to get to the opportunity to play in the major leagues at some point in his career so freddie thanks so much for being on today
1: Bill, thank you so much for the invitation. I'm excited to be here and uh, let's rock and roll.
0: Let's do it. I love it. So just as a recap, if you're a new listener, um, what we talk about here is who knew in the moment. So those pivotal moments in your life that when they're occurring, you don't necessarily know the trajectory it's going to send you on. But inevitably, it ends up being, in hindsight, a key moment that sent you into, uh, you know, this new phase, this next level of your life. And so, Freddie, for you, growing up, uh, you didn't grow up in the States, grew up in Mexico. But I think something that was interesting to me is at five, your dad kind of knew, hey, you might be good at this baseball thing. So talk a little bit about just your upbringing and, you know, the confidence that was instilled in you at a young age.
1: Absolutely. I think uh, for me, it all started, like you said, uh, I think I was in diapers still. You know, my my brother and my sister, they were both uh, baseball players. You know, my sister actually played baseball until she was about 13. And uh, now she's one of the most recognized softball players in Mexico. But uh, just growing up, you know, on the environment, being at the fields all the time, I mean, two siblings playing uh, sports, in this case, baseball. So we were at the field four or five times a week. You know what I mean? So uh, I have pictures, you know, from when I was a a toddler. I was like literally in diapers and holding a bat and a ball. And, you know, and I think that that's kind of where my passion grew. And uh, I developed really early in terms of, you know, uh, the love for the game, like wanting to be around and always having a baseball with me, always in my glove and my bat everywhere I went. I think I remember, yeah. Phil, I went to school on cleats, like, you know what I mean? So like, <laughs> I just it, it, it grew. It was that much, you know, yeah. I became so passionate about it that that's all I did.
0: That's awesome. Now, at 12, I mean, so once again, Freddie is good from the get go, right now, it takes effort, but he's good from the get go. And at 12, um, you get the keys to the city. So talk a little bit about how cool (laughs) of an experience that is as a 12 year old. I mean, I'm sure you don't even recognize what the heck this means. But just talk a little bit about, you know, what that meant to you. And maybe, you know, some of the motivation that continued to come from that.
1: Again, I don't, I don't even know if at the time I really realized how big of an accomplishment or an achievement or reward, however you want to call it, it was, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. uh, like you said, I was a pretty good baseball player. Uh, I wouldn't say it if, you know, it was like easy or it, it took a lot of work. I mean, like I said, feel like that, that's all I did. Like, I am not kidding. That's all I did. And, um, so, you know, getting a lot of rewards uh in mexico there's often things like player of the the month and and they're kind of like big things so i think uh during that year i ended up like being like player of the month like four months and you know knowing that baseball season was like short in in terms of like length so it was just pretty much every month that i played baseball And I actually had the opportunity, I think in 2012, I was the runner up for athlete of the year, like in the whole country of Mexico. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, when I got rewarded with this amazing achievement, like, I don't even know if you really understood what it meant, but I remember there was a lot of important people in that room and, you know, little things like that, everyone taking pictures. And I'm just kind of like, what is the big deal? Like, you know, I'm 12 years old. Like, I just want to go out yeah. and play more baseball. So it was definitely one of the highlights of my career at a young age, especially like being 12 years old. And, uh, you know, it would kind of set me up mentally and you know just for for what was to come down the road because you know I, I still remember i was talking about it yesterday but at age 12 i had the the president and the governor and everyone like so important like coming to watch me play and i was just like a kid you know yeah. so <laughs> definitely super intimidating but you know for me i never focused on anything else other than having fun and, and playing the game
0: absolutely and, and I think that's so powerful that you you mentioned, you know, kind of a reward, right? Um, you know, hey, I've worked really hard. I've been able to have success at my craft. And now I'm getting this neat reward. And as a 12-year-old, how cool that is.
1: 100%. I think uh, one of the things that is happening in today's world is that, you know, uh, we live in such a hurry you know we want everything to come so fast and you know we want to get on a diet and we want it to be in three days and you know we can no longer wait for a commercial for five seconds on the internet because it's too slow you know and i think uh a lot of people are or kids especially you know i think it's super important for them to know that success takes time and again success is a a relative word you know i mean Mm. it's different for everyone but to me, success is not always like holding the trophy at the end. You know, it's a learning that you get throughout the process. It's the, uh, the ups and downs is the failures, you know, I think those are the ones that actually make you stronger and are going to set you up for what's to come in life.
0: Absolutely. Well, two things I would say to that is I think you're so right, right? Uh, the end result is, is definitely exciting. But when I think you and I probably both think about accomplishments we've had in our lives, the things that we reflect on are the way we got there, right? It's not even that ending moment, that highlight moment, like that's really cool. But oftentimes the things we're reflecting on are the ups and downs on the way there. And the second thing that I would say to your comment is the failures. And it's a perfect segue into at 13 years old, you broke a collarbone. And I'm sure for being someone that's so passionate about baseball and someone that's Dedicating his life to baseball, that's a big blow, but you end up making it a big positive. So, talk a little bit about that for you. <laughs> 100%. Uh,
1: in Little League, um, you know, I'm not very involved with Little League. Uh, yeah. Like, I'm just more involved with kids in, in, in all the different sports. But in Mexico, uh, you know, 12, 13, the bases are not grounded like into the ground. So, it's, you know, they're they move. So I remember hitting a double. And as I'm rounding first base, I I touched first base with my left foot and the bag slid and I just kind of fell sideways and landed on my shoulder and popped my collarbone. And like you said, you know, we were, I think a week or two uh, from starting like regionals and things like that, like important tournaments, you know, and here I am like not being able to play. Mm -hmm. And uh, my dad was my coach during that time. And you know, I would always play catch. I'm a right-handed, so I would always do that, kind of use a left-handed glove. And, yeah. and I think one of those times I was like, you know what, Dad? I think I can play, you know? It's like I'll just play center field or something like that. I'll use a left-handed glove, and I'll take it off. And he's like, you know, super hesitant, obviously, as a dad. And he's like, well, I'll bat you ninth, but what are you going to do? And yeah. I was like, I'll just stand left-handed, you know? And I can use my right arm, and I'll just won't move my left arm. And so, you know, sure enough, I'm playing center field and I'm so nervous because I'm going to go up to the plate and I have never even attempted to hit left-handed. And Phil, first at bat from the left side, I hit a home run. <laughs> and, you know, it's something that I'm never going to forget. And it was like something like everyone, you know, coaches, my dad, teammates, everyone's like, what? Like, you just hit a homer? Like, you've never swung from the left side. And not only that, it was a one-handed homer, right? I can't right, right. I was just saying, yeah. So, and it, it was almost like motivation. It was, you know, one of those moments where it's like, oh my gosh, like maybe this is something I can do. Like you said, you know, taking a positive from it. And I will tell you, Phil, from my next like thirty at bats, I didn't even sniff like a foul ball. But that one, that one time, like set up everything else that was to come. And you know, not being able to use my left shoulder or my left arm for months. Uh, because even after I got you know the, the harness because it's kind of like a harness that pulls you back, yeah. if, after I got it taken off, like you know, you're used to not using the left arm. so I just kept on swinging and eventually, that kind of turned almost into a negative because I hit left-handed for about six months without ever stepping on the right side again. Until my dad kind of called me out and he's like, listen, like, I am your coach. I love you to death. But if you don't hit from the right side, like, I'm not going to play you. You're going to play three innings. So you're going to be benched. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that's like a little I motivation. Forced,
1: right? I was forced to go back and hit it right handed after that. And again, to me, it was it's a blessing, you know? Yeah. I, I talk about it today, Phil. Like, I don't know how these big leaguers do it, you know? I mean, balls are coming at you 93-mile-an-hour curveballs and sliders and, you know, 84-mile-an-hour, like, change-ups and 99-mile-an-hour fastballs. Like, I don't know, and I genuinely say this, I don't know if I would have played baseball, like, just having to face righties and righties and lefties and lefties. Yeah. Fortunately, I never had to do that
0: you know, I was always on the opposite end. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Well, I was going to say, so we're going to tie that in. Remember this moment where we talk about that collarbone breaking, because it's going to be pivotal to, uh, to Freddie's whole career. So at, at a certain point, as we're getting close to high school, we say, you know what, um, you know, my ability to you know grow in Mexico is only so much and I feel like I need to get to the United States to have the opportunities that I would like to have for for my baseball career so talk a little bit about coming to California and uh you know high school and uh the trajectory that sent you on
1: just kind of like you said Phil you know uh it may sound cliche but I really believe it is true you know uh United States is the land of opportunities Mm -hmm. and I always listen to that. I heard that. Like when I was in school, that's what we would study, you know? And for me, the goal was always the big leagues. You know, I want to be able to play with the best. And I was like, you know, I'm going to have to do something different here. And uh, yes, I could get through Mexico, but you know what? Like, I want to give myself the best chance. And I think that was a pivotal moment in my career, in my life, because I had to cross the border field every day. And that's something that a lot of people don't know about me. I was, you know, 15 years old, getting up at 4.30 in the morning, uh, you know, taking a bus from my house in Tijuana to downtown, walking a few blocks, taking a bus to the border, getting in line in the border and, uh, you know, taking the trolley. And for those of you who live here in the States and have used the trolley and the bus, like you know, if you miss your time, you're done for another thirty minutes or right. an hour. You know, yeah. So being super punctual and you know, but it would take a uh, two two and a half hours just to get to school, and that was on the way there. On the way back, you know, I didn't have a way back. So my coach, you know, being an amazing guy that he is, Ed Johnson in San Diego, uh, I would have to wait for him after practice, and he took me to the border every single day. But you know. Uh, during the week, it was around 6.30, 7.00. I would end up getting home about 7.30 or 8.00. And on Fridays, it was a done deal. I would get home at midnight because there was football games that he used to coach football. So I couldn't do anything. From time to time, I would get a ride to the border from someone else. But again, it was just that, you know, exhausting. And I call it exhausting because at 15, 16, 17, like, I, was, I didn't live at home. I nice. went to my house to sleep. I hardly ever saw my family. I ever, yeah. you know, my friends. Like, I didn't, and I don't mean it in a bad way, but my life was fully 100% baseball and school. Yep. And again, that's why I say it was, uh, you know, that moment in my life that really dictated like okay this is what i want again i didn't know if i was going to be able to achieve it but i knew i was going to give it my absolute everything and that was just one example of what i had to go through to make that happen
0: yeah well and i i want to highlight that because i think that's unique right how frequently do we say we really want something but then a 30 minute commute is is our barrier to entry right and for you right there, that, that just wasn't the case. It was no, I want this so bad that I'm willing to do the uncommon thing to get there, right? That, that doesn't even account for all the hours you put into actual baseball. It's talking about like the external things of, hey, I had to drive and commute an hour, find a ride home two hours, right? I mean, whatever it is, just to get to school. And so I think that's, you know, I don't want that to get lost in all the effort that you put in above and beyond that, too.
1: You know, Phil, I actually wrote that in my book, Mentally Strong. I, I wrote about yeah. that mentality. And I think you mentioned, you know, how bad do you want it? Yeah. You know, because, you know, I hear a lot like, oh, my gosh, practices so far. I have to go 15 minutes, you know, or I don't want to go to the store. It's 10 minutes away. Or really, do I have to walk three blocks? Like, you know what I mean? And I'm always like, OK, how bad do you want it? You know, because I think we all know that when we really, really. But I mean, like, really want something. Yep. There, there's no excuses, you know, you just get it done. And yeah. I wrote about it in the book, because that mentality is so important. Like, how bad do you want something? How bad do you want to change in your life? How long do you want a better life? How bad do you want to be a better husband, a better wife, a better son, a better athlete? And you know what, we can actually achieve everything when we eliminate those blockages from our mind and you know a lot of people come up to me telling me their story and i'm in a sense i'm kind of like well you're kind of telling the wrong person you know because if you knew my life i i've done things that people would say you know how did you do that and the only way i got through it was with this mentality of you know how bad do i want it and it's something from within you know it's Mm -hmm. something here in your heart that doesn't mean you're not tired that doesn't mean you know you want to quit because it did cross my mind But you know what, when your passion is bigger or in this case, when your goal is bigger than your, you know, everything else, you make an effort and you will make it happen. And regardless of whether or not you achieve it, you're going to be in a better place than you were before. So that's how I, I face that challenge.
0: I love it. That's so spot on, too. So you're in the United States, you're playing high school baseball and things go well. You have success. You continue to progress as a player. And then obviously the college opportunity presents itself. So talk a little bit about you know recruiting and then how you ultimately picked uh, or picked San Diego to, uh, to attend to play baseball.
1: Well, I hope this isn't a long story, but again, I think this will be the very first time I ever talk about this publicly. Yeah. But uh, I actually uh, took a year off right after high school. Okay. So as uh, so I came into the United States my first year as a sophomore, I took the SAT and I got a really low score on the SAT. I didn't even speak English at right. all. You know, and two and a half years later, I take the SAT again. I was a pretty good student. I worked on my English. I took personal classes, you know, with tutors, everything. And I got a really high score the second time around. So the SAT committee uh, said that it was not possible that I would get like a, I think the first score was like a 580. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So really, really bad. And then it was like a 1220. So in a sense, I was kind of accused of cheating and. I lost the scholarships that I had because there was no more SAT available for me to take. So I took a year off. At that point, I was, you know, I believe in signs. I believe in, you know, kind of what the life has to offer. And I was like, yeah, maybe this is a sign that I shouldn't be in school and I'm going to go back and play pro ball in Mexico. And so I took that route. I never signed anything. I went to a team in Mexico, and the deal was that if I made the team, I would sign a professional contract. So I was still a minor. I was 17 years old. And in Mexico, you know, you're a minor until 18. So yeah. uh, I ended up making the team feel. I was 17 years old, but I couldn't sign a contract because I was a minor. So the team flew yeah. me back home. And again, signs, you know, or signals. Yeah. The day of my flight, uh, woke up late, the alarm didn't go off. Uh, you know, at that time, we, we don't have cell phones, you know, it's <laughs> like, You have the alarm clock against the wall and I don't know if there was electrical failure at night, but the alarm didn't go off. My dad woke up late. I woke up late. We're heading to the airport. My dad has like a minor like crash, you know, nothing happened, but we're getting delayed. So I get to the airport. My flight had left already. I called the team over and the team was like, you know what? We can't get you a flight for two days. I was like, okay, it's not a big deal. I have the signed contract with me. So in those two days, I went back to my high school, Marion Catholic in San Diego, Now Matter Day, yeah. and uh, I was practicing with the team. Rich Hill, Rich Hill the coach, longtime coach, uh, just uh, an incredible legend. He's still the coach for the, the USD Toreros. He was there recruiting a player. So as I'm hitting, you know, I'm working out, uh, he comes up to me, he's like, Freddie, I thought you were in Arizona State. Like, you know, what happened? I was like, I kind of told him the story that I just shared with you. And he asked me like three times, he's like, have you signed a professional contract? Like, are you a professional athlete. And I'm like, not yet, technically, but I will be in two days when I leave. And I remember, I still, I still get chills, man, because I believe in that type of energy. I believe in in the universe, you know, kind of lining up for you. I believe in in what you want. Like, you know, it's always kind of right there for you. And I remember asking him, he's like, would you want to go to USD? And I was like, I would love to. I just can't afford it. And he's like, hands me a package. And he's like, I'm offering you a full scholarship right now. He's like, go home, talk about it with your parents. And you have a meeting on Friday to, uh, you know, for your... I don't even know what they call it. Like your very first meeting at school yeah. and you'll be a USD student. All you have to do is take the SAT again. And it was like, I mean, I still get chills, you know, no one could believe it. I couldn't believe it myself. And a month or two later, I was
0: enrolled at USD. That's amazing. I love it. So yeah, who knew in the moment of missing my alarm clock that I would (laughs) end up getting a college scholarship out of it. That's awesome. I love that. So you go to USD and once again, you have success there. You continue to progress, get better as a baseball player. And over the course of your career, uh, scouts take notice and you end up getting drafted to play professional baseball.
1: Yes, uh, my three years in high school, I mean, college were definitely different. You know, uh, a lot of schoolwork, being a student athlete, not not, not being a native speaker and, uh, you know, just working for what you want every single day. It was yeah. definitely challenging, but it was a blast at the same time. You know, uh, having the opportunity to play as a freshman, uh, there was, uh, you know, I was actually, uh, going to red shirt my freshman year and there was an injury. Our third baseman got Tommy John okay. and, you know, Freddie Sandoval being the person that he is, he goes up to the coach and be like, Hey man, I can play third. You know, <laughs> i have never played third field in my entire life. You know, I just wanted to play. Yeah. And he's like, really? It's like, yeah, like, well, let's go play third, you know? And, uh. I ended up making the team as a freshman. Uh, I almost broke the NCAA record for errors at third base. Uh, <laughs> but again, you know, it was like, I want to be here. And I remember yeah. making like five errors in one game and just like absolutely a lot of like failure, you know, but yeah. working at it every single day the following year was better defensively. Uh, offensively, the numbers were you know, pretty much always there. And like you said, I, I started being noticed by MLB scouts and, you know, by my junior year, it was pretty uh, expected that I was going to like be drafted. I just didn't know where, you know how it works. Yeah. So uh, I am thankful, you know, for the Anaheim Angels for taking a chance on me in 2004 and getting drafted in the eighth round was definitely another highlight of my career. You know, it's that moment when all your dreams come true of, of signing a professional contract.
0: Yeah. Well, so something I want to highlight there is your willingness to Step into a role, even though it might not have been the position you wanted to play, right? I mean, how frequently do we let our ego get in the way of what could be a great opportunity because it's not the way I envisioned it, right? I'm sure no part of you said, oh my gosh, I can't wait until I get to college and I'll get to play third base. No, absolutely not. But an opportunity was there and you were willing to step into that opportunity. So talk a little bit about just your willingness to be able to do that. Uh, and, and what that means for people, right. And whatever it is, it's not always going to be baseball, but whatever that opportunity is for them.
1: Well, like you talked about earlier, I feel like, you know, how bad do you want it? How about you want something, you know, a lot of times, like you said in a regular job or even as a kid, you know, you want to achieve something, but you're not fully committed to it. And, yeah. you know, you want the easy route or if not, we quit, we give up, you know, and I've done that many times in my career. Uh, I did it with my education. I did it in pro ball again with Mike Socia uh in the angels you know but you know i really wanted i wanted to be a part of of a team i wanted to play i wanted to be out there uh i I believe in in being kind of out of your comfort zone i believe in growth i believe in improving yourself in every area of life and you know at the end of my career i ended up playing everywhere but going back to 2009 you know i'm in spring training uh You know, I had already made my debut and I I had a phenomenal like spring training, you know. um, Actually, I'm sorry, this is 2008. Uh, I'm having an an incredible spring training and a coach comes up to me, Alfredo Griffin, he's like, hey, we just had a meeting. And I was wondering if, you know, if you play second base, you know, uh, you know, you're playing really well and there might be an opportunity for you and. I was like, Alfredo, I'll play anything. You know, I'll be the bad boy if you want me to. That's, you know, what's going to get me yeah. to the big leagues. Yep. So at that point, I am I started working out at second, and then I was like, hey, I play first too. And I- <laughs> so check this out, Phil. I go and play first base. The next day, you know, it's kind of like a, like a split squad, and what ended up happening is that in 2007, you, know, um, you know, I had a good year and all that, so I go into spring training and and the team goes on the road and I go back to the minor league game, but to play first base only, you know, Mm. just, uh, you know, just get reps and all that. And I made like two mistakes within the first three hitters. And Mike Soch is just kind of going like this, like, God, I look, it's like my fault. You know, like I got it. I'll figure it out. But, you know, just that willingness, you know, I think it's super important for everyone who's listening, especially the kids, you know, Be willing to try something and it's okay if it doesn't go your way. You know, in fact, if if you really want something, if it doesn't go your way, it's going to make you work harder for it. And I encourage everyone, it's like, put yourself in situations that are going to make you better, not better as an athlete, better as a person because the growth and the learning that you get from it is going to, you know, dictate or it's going to be a key component for later on in life.
0: Yep. That's awesome. I absolutely love that. Now, Freddie, for you um, in your career, then we are drafted and, you know, the MLB is just a lot different than a lot of the other organizations, right? In NBA, NFL, if you get drafted, you kind of, you just go play for that team. In MLB, there's a lot of different levels. So once you get drafted, then begins the pursuit of getting to the right that the the main team not just inside the farm club so talk a little bit about just your progression there and i do want to highlight since you already mentioned 2008 to your point you started having success you played well and you're also the angels organizational player of the year which is a big deal because that's amongst all the different teams inside the organization yes
1: you know minor leaks. i tell people it was fun don't get me wrong it was one of the most fun moments of my career But at the same time, I mean, you talk about the ups and downs. I've been talking about failure.
0: That's
1: that's when you really experience it. You know, first of all, you come out of high school or college. In my case, it was college and you're an okay player. You know, you get drafted. You're Mm -hmm. you're a good player. But then you get to a team that it doesn't matter where you look. Everyone is just as good as you are or better, you know, and uh high school you play 30 games college you play about 50 then you get to pro ball it's 140 and it's just like what you know so the the mental drainage like drainage and just the ups and downs the body you know how it suffers the consequences because you it's something you've never done it's a three times longer season that you have ever played you're on your own you're living uh you know You're teaming up uh, and rooming with players. You're living with host families. You're, you know, you're completely out of your environment. So the minor leagues, uh, it's definitely a process that, you know, that pushes you with that mentality of how bad you want it. Because, you know, at the lower levels, it it, it honestly plays out like that. You start rookie ball from the number of fans, from the environment that you play, uh, obviously the money that you make. But each level just gets better and better and better and better. And it's almost a, as a motivation, kind of like, you know, each level will put you in a better place. And obviously, 2008 was by far the best year of my career, career numbers. And that was when, you know, like you mentioned, uh, I was organizational player of the year. And when I had my my first, you know, cup of coffee to, in the big leagues.
0: Let's go. Absolutely. Now, Frey, for you, I, I want to just talk a little bit about that, right? Uh, just that feeling of my entirety of work, right? 20 years of just, you know, putting in the time, the effort. And you talked about a little bit earlier when you said, you know, sometimes success takes some time, right? And you had wins along the way, but you had this ultimate goal of I want to play in the major leagues. And so talk about just that moment when you got the call or you got the nod from the coach that, Hey, t- tonight, you're going to be playing uh, suiting up as, you know, a- an angel tonight.
1: Yes, it was uh, actually my story is very different, probably than most, yeah. because you know the whole year I put incredible numbers. You know, yeah. player of the week, player of the month. Uh, you know, uh, for those people that, that follow baseball, you know, there there's there was uh, in the back old rules. There was September collapse. You know, yeah. And August thirty first comes in. I go in, like have a my I bat in the first inning. I hit a double. You know, and I'm at second base, and all of a sudden, I get taken out of the game. And, like, there's 15,000 people at the stadium. Everyone's, like, and the fans are coming over. He's, like, Freddie, like, going to the big leagues. I'm in the dugout. Like, I'm wondering, like, why am I out of the game? Yeah. You know? Right. And uh, finally, I go up to my manager at that time, Bobby Mitchell. I'm, like, Bobby, like, why did you take me out of the game? Like, you know, he's, like, Freddie, we're going to start the playoffs tomorrow. Like, you need to be well-rested. Like, you know? And I'm just, like, like, you know? (laughs) Oh. Uh, All my dreams just kind of go down the drain, you know, and uh, it didn't happen for me. September 1st, we lost a lot of players that year. We started the playoffs and uh, six days later, uh, we lost the playoffs and I get the call. You know, Uh, first of all, I go into the office, they call me in. Nowhere in my mind is the fact that I'm getting called up. I mean, this is September 6th. You know, it's it's way after the September call up. So I go to the office and. You know, uh, they, they talked to me about, you know, the season that I had and, you know, continue to, like, be yourself, continue to play hard. And, you know, we just wanted to let you know that you were minor league player of the year. So there was, you know, a lot of cheers, a lot of hugs and everything. So I'm about to walk out the door. I actually open up the door. And as I open up the door, I'm about to step out. And he's like, manager Bobby Mitchell was like, hey, Freddie, by the way, make sure that you continue to do this in Anaheim tomorrow. And I'm just like, I literally, I turn around, I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, make sure you continue to do this in the big leagues. And I'm like, what? And at that point, I think I like cursed at him. You know, I'm like, are you like serious? And I got a huge hug. The following day was a day off for the Angels. So my major league debut was September 8th, 2008. It's a date that I will never forget. And, uh, you know, just such a special moment.
0: Yes, that's amazing. So, Frey, you, you get to be in the major leagues and you have two two seasons, right, in the in the major leagues?
1: Uh, With yes. It's uh, it's 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 the the big leagues the way it works is it's cumulative time. You know, it's yep. day by day. If you're in mm-hmm. the big leagues one day, they count it as a as a season, but it's yeah. only one day. You know? Yep. So, over a 3-year span, I accumulated I think just under 1 year of major league service, mm. so about 160 days. that I, that I had the opportunity to be at the major league level. And a bunch of that time was actually on the, on the disabled list.
0: Got it. And so as, as the pro career, you know, happens, the playing happens, it comes to an end, but you get an opportunity with the Kansas city Royals in a completely different capacity. So talk a little bit about how that opportunity came to be and what you did with them.
1: Well, first of all, after the 2008 season, I go back to the big leagues and, you know, like I said, I, I've always liked to be prepared, you know, I like to be prepared. And back, uh, right after the season in 2008, I I went back to school, got my degree in psychology. Uh, the following year, I started a master's in management, human resources. So by the time, uh, that my baseball career was coming to an end, you know, I started looking at, at what to do and an opportunity came up with the Kansas City Royals, you know, uh, type of a mentorship role if you want to call it and uh I ended up signing with them shortly after I I retired I retired in 2011 uh you know being hurt for 3 years uh starting 2009 and 10 and then 11 you know I became a medical liability and you know you talk about failures or you know just things not going your way but there was a backup plan I was finishing school I got all that done I prepared myself for what was coming next and uh, you know that's where I developed uh, my mental training program. You know, I, I as a certified uh, professional mental coach now. That's what I've been doing for the last ten years, and just helping kids and and people, not necessarily just in sports, but in life in general, to transform their mindset. You know, to eliminate. Fears, roadblocks—you know—you call it—you know—depressions, anxieties, all the things that we face and we go through as human beings. And I started putting my program together with uh, with the Kansas City Royals from 2012 until shortly after the World Series in in 15.
0: Yeah. So, well, yeah, you were with them for a pretty pivotal time in the organizational uh, career for them. And what I'd like you to talk a little bit about is, you know, what did you spend time doing in that mental training you know what was kind of the development process for working with athletes because once again there's a lot of things that you need as an athlete to mentally train on that is transferable across all things right um you know businesses and families and and things like that so talk a little bit about what it was specifically that you kind of developed and uh, organized there
1: well I again you know phil through all the things that we've talked about going through the my my childhood uh as a you know Seven, eight, nine year olds until 12, 13, until you know, high school, college, minor leagues, uh, all sports, you know, talk about being mentally strong. You know, it's so like you have mm-hmm. to, you know, baseball and sports and life itself, you know, requires some type of mental capacity yeah. to make it through. But what does that mean, you know? So uh, obviously, having studied psychology and, and you know just digging into the books and reading and researching, I put together a mental training program that just like we train in the physical body, or we would you know do our training for any job that we get. You know, that's what what I do. I, I developed a mental training program that that you can do at home on your own time to train the mind to think differently and it's a process it's a process that takes time and uh you know uh, that's what I what I developed there with the Royals and what yeah. a lot of the players did is you know it's a funny story to mention even though I can't mention names because of uh confidentiality my first year with the Royals I worked with three kids that was it yeah. you know the those three kids uh changed quite a bit you know not just baseball wise but their lives got better and improved and it almost became as a uh, that's a new product that you get, you know, you, you buy a new product, you like it, you talk about it. And that's how it happened. The following year was like 16 players. The following year was like 50 in 2015, there was 120 kids that I was working with individually. And, you know, uh, it, it was just such an incredible moment, you know, just to see that growth. And again, if you go back to 2011, uh, this whole mental thing was kind of new, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. a lot of people were like super skeptical about it. And just to see that growth, it, it was just such an amazing, you know, time of my life because the challenges that you face and, you know, the non believers and the mental side, all these different things. But now, I think every sport and every company out there, they, they understand fully the power of the brain and the importance of being mentally strong.
0: Absolutely. So what What I wonder is, you know, you're talking to some of the people that are at the pinnacle of what they do, right? And, it, you know, some would say, well, gosh, how does that person have any negative thoughts? How do they have any negative self-talk? Like they're one of the best in the world at what they do, but inevitably we're all just human. So what, in your opinion, are one or two of the, I guess, n- mental sides of things that hold people back that just in a very practical way you could say hey here are one or two things that a lot of people struggle with and how you might recommend that they work through that eagle number one you know (laughs) uh, hey man i needed to hear that i needed to hear that
1: i i had that phil you know and i actually talk about it in my book uh in the topic of awareness because I actually had the opportunity in 2009 to work with Ken Revisa who passed away years ago and one of the best mental coaches ever, you know, and uh, he came over to the angels and, you know, I I still remember the day he like was sitting right next to me by my locker. And he's like, Hey, Freddie, you want to talk a little bit about about the mental side? And I'm like, yeah, Ken, I don't believe in this stuff, like you know what I mean? And I always tell that story because my ego didn't allow me. I mean, mm. I was one of those guys. What are people going to think about me if they see me talking to Ken? They're going to think that I, there's something wrong with me. Right. Uh, you know, I am too good. I don't need any help from anyone. I, you know, I'm invincible. Like, yep. and you know what? No, I had my struggles internally. I had my, my, you know, depression, my anxieties, my my battles with the negative world, all these different things, but you know what, my ego didn't allow me to get that help, and it wasn't until I hit rock bottom that that 2009, when I got hurt for the first time, that I really experienced what it was to be in depression, and, you know, I needed help, I needed help, so I started seeking out that help, reading a lot of books, talking to people, you know, a few years later, I had the opportunity to talk to Ken again and apologize, you know, and, you know, and, uh, it was definitely something that changed my mind. So I would say to answer your question, number one is ego and, you know, hand in hand, this next thing you say uh, that I would say is, is our willingness to get better. Yep. You know, uh, like I said earlier, you know, a lot of people want to get better, but there's a lot of factors that don't allow us to, for that to happen. And, you know, I call it flexibility of mind. We think we're know it all, you know, I, right. you know, I've always done it this way and this is the way that works and, they're not willing to try something new, you know, so the very first thing I tell people all the time is, are you willing to do it, Bingo. you know, and, and if you're willing, you know, it sounds cliche, but really the sky is the limit, you know, because every day you find out new things and, and how powerful our mind is. And when you put it to work, man, it's kind of unbelievable.
0: I love that. That's great. Yes. Get rid of the ego or at least lessen the ego and then be willing to do the work. I love that. You know, the ego is actually a good thing. You know, yes. I, I
1: don't always talk about it in a bad way, but in this case, yes, you know, uh, we're not perfect. We're, nope. Nobody is. And, you know, if we put that aside and, and are willing to get help and seek help, uh, you know, I think we're going to be in a better place.
0: I love it. That's great. So then, Freddie, you transition into uh, your business and it's the choice to believe. So talk a little bit about that mission and what you're doing there. Um, I think that's, you know, a, a really cool project that you're doing.
1: Shortly after I, I retired, uh, you know, I, I, I almost like in a dream, man, it came up, you know, like the name. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I love this name. I want to have a company. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to start a company. And in 2012, The Choice to Believe became a legal company, even though I didn't do anything with it until 2014 yeah. so i just loved the name and i i you know i became a company even though I, I i didn't do anything with it so after i put together the program with kansas city you know uh it started becoming something and now it is my company it's it's uh, i'm the you know sole proprietorship and uh what i do with it is that i lead people to change their life and transform their lives you know i i worked with over 700 people over the course of 10 uh 10 years and as far as I know, every single person that I've worked with has seen a change and improved, uh, even if it's just a little bit. Yeah. And that's what change is to me. That's what transformation is, is you can take someone from where they are and just make an improvement. Like I said, success is different for everyone. So for me, it's just about transforming the mindset and becoming, you know, uh the person that you want to become, because I believe that deep inside, we all want something more, something better. And a lot of the times we don't have the guidance uh, or or we don't know how to get there. So what I do is I take people week to week through a process of transformation or change to, you know, clear the mind and and in a sense become mentally stronger, you know, so that's what the choice to believe is. Uh, You know, I, I believe that we all make choices and we all make decisions every day. And that's what this is all about. It's your own individual, you know, opportunity, your own individual choice and decision to do something great with your life.
0: That's awesome. I love that. So, Freddie, uh, I have a pointed question that I'd love, love to hear your answer to. So um, the the question or I guess the topic is, and it's a phrase, it's blissful dissatisfaction. okay. So the idea behind it is there are those kind of the people in life that they hit a goal. And once they hit the goal, they plateau because they've they've reached that point that they wanted to reach, right? And so the, the desire to continue to work maybe just isn't there anymore. But then there can be the completely opposite end of the spectrum, which I think probably you and I both fall into, and that is every time I hit a goal, I'm so quickly on to my next goal that I don't take time to celebrate that first goal that I had originally had. So for you and in your career of all the amazing accolades and things you've been able to accomplish, how did you balance the not plateauing, continuing to strive for more, but not losing the joy that comes out of hitting that goal? I think
1: it came from my internal motivation, you know, uh, plateauing. I mean, it can be good. You know, I don't, I don't talk about it I, I i in fact it's like no we gotta always keep going you know
0: yeah
1: uh i have a hashtag that i came up with that it's in spanish and english that basically just means move forward you know uh always adelante, you know it's broken down spanish it's in english it's in spanish it's a mixture of things but what it means is just move forward you know yeah. uh I think for me, it was my internal motivation that got me there. And I talk about it in the book as well, but I call it the watch me mentality. You know, we all get to that point where we're tired, we're overwhelmed. We maybe want to quit, you know, our goal seems so far away. And that's what got me through it. It's like, and and again, going back to negativity, you know, it was all those people that told me I couldn't achieve something. That's what the watch me mentality means. You know, it's, it's you know i remember this one guy who told me i wasn't good enough to sign a pro contract and it's just like watch me i am going to get this done i'm gonna do whatever i have to do i'm gonna you know go through the challenges i'm gonna just get up every morning and continue to move forward just because you told me i couldn't do it you know what i mean and uh i talk about it in the book it was one of those things that That drove me every single day and in the minor leagues. Maybe it wasn't a person. It was an organization as a whole. Like I am going to force you to put me in the big leagues, you know, and I'm going to work my butt off every day through the ups and downs and watch me, watch me, watch me because you know what? It is a grind like life life is challenging. Life is difficult, you know, but it is way too easy to give up. And I always tell people, it's like, we got to find it within ourselves here in our mind and in our heart to continue to move forward, to just move forward, regardless of what happens. So, you know, Looking at at the failures or at the the past, you know, we have a tendency to look at things negatively. I always tell people and encourage them, it's like, look at it as a good thing. You know, I'm not saying that you're proud of what you did or what you or what happened to you. What I'm saying is look at it, embrace it, come to love it, come to terms with it, let it go so that you can move forward, you know, because. You're only affecting yourself here in your mind. So I look at basically all of my life, Phil, like even the bad stuff. You know, I went through some pretty hard stuff and, you know, I look at it as a good thing, as a blessing. One, I've been able to help a lot of people through the things that I went through. But two, most importantly, they made me the person that I am today. Phil, I wasn't always like this. You know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say I was a screw up but you know, I made a bad, I I made a lot of bad decisions and 10, 12 years ago, I decided to change my life. And if I had to go through everything that I go, like I went through the ups and the downs, especially the downs to be where I am today with this peace of mind and be able to sleep at night and, you know, uh, be a responsible father for my kids. Like, you know what? I would do it all over again, just to be where I am. So, you know, that that's what I what I talk about a lot. So I, I hope that answers your question.
0: That's awesome. I appreciate it, Ray. Well, as promised to each listener, you have a fascinating story. I appreciate you one sharing how you uh, how you got there. And I think, you know, a, a huge takeaway I have is just um, if your drive is enough, there's nothing that can be in your way. Right. And I mean, whether that was you having to go from mexico to the united states whether that was commuting daily to get to school whether that was you know hey i didn't necessarily get to play the position i wanted but i still progressed forward so i think that's a great takeaway so freddie i appreciate your time today man
1: absolutely thank you so much and uh you know to all the listeners out there you know i I tell people all the time whether in sports or not you know just have fun enjoy your life you know Uh, we go through life so fast that we forget about the little things. And, and, you know, we live in such an amazing world that if we actually pay attention and open our eyes, you know, we're going to be in a better place and, you know, you can achieve anything you want.
0: I love it. Thanks so much, Freddie.
1: Thank you, Phil. I appreciate it.
0: Wow. Thanks so much for sharing, Freddie. I love in Freddie's story how he is so committed to his goal, right? When he talks about having to commute hours just to get the opportunity to go to a, uh, a high school and play uh, baseball. Then the moment where he misses his, uh, his plane to go play professionally, and then he gets his college scholarship. So, things happen. Pivotal moments happen. And uh, who knew when they were happening, what they were going to lead to. Freddie, thanks so much for sharing your story. Congrats on your phenomenal career and all the amazing things you're going to do moving forward.